Amen. It's good to see all of you. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Um, I know it's a special, it should be a special day for all of us because we all are either moms or we had a mom and mothers are really special so it's great to honor them. For me, I think of my wife who was such a great mom to our kids and an even better grandma to our grandkids and both of my daughters-in-law who are such amazing moms. And then all around, I mean, what my mom went through as a, everything she had to face and the hardships and everything. And then most of my life I've been surrounded when I worked in education. It was run by moms. There were moms everywhere. And I saw such great examples of what a mom can be. So I have a great deal of respect for mothers. And so it's a privilege to kind of reflect on what all that means. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, what scripture will we focus on today? Because we're always going to focus on scripture. Um, and I started thinking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think if, you're, if you grew up as a Catholic, you're used to hearing a lot of stuff about Mary because the Catholics really make a big deal about Mary. And at the same time, Protestants have a tendency to be like, eh, Mary, Mary, we're not, we're not Mary all a tree. And, we're not. and so as a result, we shortchange Mary. Maybe the Catholics get a little too carried away, um, kind of like if you ate every day the way you eat on Mother's Day. But you know, in Luke's gospel, there's a whole lot about Mary because um, Luke, who was just, he wasn't there around Jesus, but he was a historian. And so he wrote the Gospel of Luke primarily by interviewing key people. And I can't believe that he was the first one, apparently, to think, maybe we ought to get Mary's perspective on this, because he obviously interviewed her. So much of the story of Christmas comes from Mary's recollections, and Luke's Gospel has way more about Christmas because it has way more that comes from Mary. And so uh, this morning I want to just look at a few key verses in chapters 1 and particularly in chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel. So you can turn over there if you'd like. Um, I mean, in chapter 1 we see the buildup to Mary. And when the angel in verse 28 came to her and said, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. How many teenage girls have an angel come and tell them, you are like the most blessed of women? Um, either the angel was a Catholic or he, this is actually true. Um, and then when Mary went to, her, um, to Elizabeth's house, she prophesied and said, in verse 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. That's who Elizabeth saw as the Holy Spirit inspired her, seeing in Mary. And, and then Mary herself prophesied as she wrote a song. And among other things, in verse 48, she said, Behold, henceforth... All generations will call me blessed. So this 
amazing prophecy that I am in a really special place and people are always going to remember who I am. And so if that's the case, it's appropriate for us to as well. And I think Mary, to a huge degree, is prototypical of motherhood period. And as a result, there's much that we can learn as we pay tribute to mothers and as we reflect on motherhood, for sure, um, to look at Mary as our example. So Luke chapter 2, the, it says that it, they were supposed to go to their, whole, their family's hometown to be taxed. So Mary and Joseph, they were engaged, um, had to go to Bethlehem. But look at verse 5 in Luke 2. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. I want to stop and think about that for just a minute. She was with child. She was pregnant. It wasn't she was going to have a child. She was already with child. And there's something that happens within a mother, that there is this biological connection with their child long before their child is born. You you would have to be ignorant of science to not understand that connection and to pretend like a child just becomes a child when it's born, but before that, it's just like an appendage. She was with child. But I also want you to consider this. That never stops. When a mother has a child and they cut that umbilical cord, the mother is still with child, still connected to that child. And no matter how old your kids get, for a mother, you're always going to be with child. A part of your identity, a part of everything that you are, has that connection, not just because you started that whole thing, but because there is a connection between a mother and a child that can only be described as you are connected forever. And I like that, that he chose that, that particular wording for it. But then in verse 7, it says, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here's another picture of a mom. Like, you're in a barn. They couldn't get a room, so you're staying in the barn, and you just had a baby. Now, what's the dad going to do? I don't know. You know, the dad will take the baby and hold it, like, you know, this is, I don't know. I'm not sure where to go with this from here. Too bad we don't have a room. Too bad we don't have a crib. Maybe I'll go try to build one. The mom is like, look, (laughs) this is what it is. We're in a barn. That feeding trough will work as a baby bed. And you know, there's hay in there already, put a little more in. And if I wrap my baby tightly and securely and close so that nothing can happen, all of a sudden a manger becomes a bed. A a baby who's wrapped up becomes the apple of my eye in this beautiful manger scene where I don't know if a man would have thought of that. Hey, let's just chuck him in the toolbox. We, you know, that's, usually they don't think that way. But women are flexible. Women are adaptable. 
They look at the situation. Mothers are really good, and I'm not saying every mother is good at this, but in general, mothers are good at going, okay, here's what we've got going. Here's what we're going to need to do to get by. Mothers survive. Mothers know that they can take care of their kids having little or almost nothing or having everything. And I think Mary is a great example of somebody who had that flexibility, that, that going, well, then we'll just do this then, because that was her baby. Now, as you read on, there's the story of the angels who came to the shepherds in the field outside Bethlehem and made these great prophecies about the baby that they were going to go see, and then they came and, and saw the baby, and they were all marveled when they heard the story of the shepherds, But look at verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. A mother hears what they hear, see what they see. They have ideas and thoughts. But mothers hang on to those things in their hearts. I mean, there's no way that Mary could really understand what all of this meant. You know, here's some grubby shepherds making these wild claims about my baby. I don't even know how I had a baby. This is all so strange and foreign to me, but I'm hearing this stuff, and it's sinking down deep inside. I feel like this means something. I don't want to forget this. Whereas, and again, I'm not knocking fathers, but this isn't Father's Day. Look, dads, if you're offended by what I'm saying, we're giving you chocolate after church, so you'll you'll be fine. But it takes a mother to really take it to heart, not just to head, not just, huh, I'll have to think about that later. But something sinks deep down inside her that says, everything that I'm seeing, everything that I'm hearing, all that I'm experiencing, it's coming right into the depth of, of my very being. And... That's, that's a mom thing for sure. And now as you read on in, in chapter 2, further down in, in verse 22, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They came and said, we want our baby dedicated to God this is really where we get the idea of baby dedication. When, we, when a baby is born, we want to bring the baby to, in front of the church and pray over that baby and go, God, this is your baby. Now, there's something interesting because sometimes we think of the idea of baby dedication as if we're giving the baby to God, as if we're going, okay, God, he's your problem now. She's your problem now. But... It's interesting that the word that's used for to, to dedicate him, to present him to the Lord, the, the Greek word there is a word that means to stand alongside of, paristemi. It's the word histemi, which means to stand, and para means alongside of. And so in a baby dedication, and baby dedications are really special, Next Sunday, I get the privilege of dedicating my newest granddaughter, Amelia, third service, so you'll miss it. But (laughs) it's always special, but it isn't because 
okay, God, you gave me this baby, now I'm giving the baby back to you. It's saying, God, you're a part of this family. I want you to stand alongside of us. I want to remember and to know that you are always with us. You're his father, I'm his father, I'm his mother. We're coming together because, God, we want you to be a part of this. That's why baby dedications are so special. And we always, I remember both of my kids' dedications and my grandkids' dedications. It's a special time to say, okay, God, you're a part of all of this. My, my first son, William, was maybe my favorite baby dedication because, I mean, he's my first kid, and he's this little tiny guy, week or two old, and Pastor Chuck took him and held him up so people could see William. And then Chuck just looked at him, and he goes, I keep expecting him to make a wisecrack. <laughs> Which capacity later developed in Will, for sure. But it's that, that issue of saying, God, you're alongside us. You are standing with us. When a parent tries to raise a child, man, you need God to stand with you. You need that kind of stability. And so... Mary and Joseph did that with Jesus, presenting him, standing him alongside of the Lord. And then you have those great prophecies by Simeon. As Simeon is this old guy who takes Jesus and holds him. And there in verse 29, he prays this crazy prayer. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He's like, God, I can die now. It's totally fine. Because I've seen this baby. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Which you have prepared. Before the face of all peoples. A light to bring Gentile. To bring revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel. Wow. What a prayer. That he says. This baby. Is so precious. And imagine being Mary and Joseph and you're hearing this like, well, I was hoping for a nice little prayer. But this is kind of stunning. But look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Here, you're saying that he's the hope of the Gentiles, that he's the hope of the world, that he is the reason you were still alive so that this would happen. They did not understand that. But they had a great sense that this baby has amazing potential. And this is something that a mother so connects with. Because you can look at your little baby and go, there is unlimited potential. And you can imagine. And A dad looks at the potential thinking, just think, someday I'll have somebody to take care of me when I'm older. But a, a mom, not, that's probably not fair. But... <laughs> It's not Father's Day. But a mother looks at that baby and her imagination, her ability to image, to create, to visualize what kind of things could happen in the life of this, my child. It's really, you know, it's limitless. And you can't describe it. But you look at that child and you imagine what could happen? And so for them, when they heard this, 
They heard the amazing potential and they were amazed. I can't, you look at a baby and go, I can't believe that just came out of my body. And just imagine what this child can become. That's the heart of a mother. So then Simeon blessed them and then said a weird thing to Mary. So far, so good. This sounds great. Then he says, hey, something else, Mary. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Huh? And for a sign which will be spoken against. I mean, if I dedicate a baby, I usually don't pray this. You know, this baby is going to be hurt. This baby is going to be divisive. There are going to be people who hate your baby, some that love your baby. But then, yes, verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed Boy, talk about a quench on a great event. He looks at Mary as he's still holding Jesus. And he's saying, this baby is what I've been waiting to be born. This is awesome. He is amazing. He will change the world. But mom, he's going to break your heart. He's going to just pierce through to the depth of your being. I can't even imagine, I can't fathom explaining to you how much pain you are going to endure in in the life of the one you love so much. Um, Obviously, God knew that it it would be just, you know, 30 years later or, or more that she would stand there watching her son be crucified. She had no concept of that, but... The truth is, for any mom, there are going to be times, for the most part, when your child breaks your heart. When your child just, what they're doing, because they have their own choices, they live their own lives, and sometimes it'll just pierce you to the core as to what they are going through. You cannot look at the joy of having a child without understanding that the love that you have for your children also makes you especially susceptible to your heart being broken. That's something we don't like to think about. But the truth is, it's at the heart of pretty much every mother. Now, if you are a mother and your kids never broke your heart, congratulations to them for hiding the truth from you. (laughs) But the truth is, this is what kids do. Sometimes they break a mother's heart. Um, you know, I, when I think of mothers on Mother's Day, I think of some of the mothers that I know and things that they've endured, things that they've gone through because of their children. I, I've been there for quite a few mothers when one of their children would die. And you can't even fathom what that is like unless you've gone through that. And I, it was, I was thinking of one mom in particular this morning as I was teaching in first service and, and her son, so much potential and everything, and he ended up in his early 30s taking his own life. And so I've been praying for her the last couple of days thinking about it. And right during worship, she texted me and said that she listened to the first service with her 92-year-old mother and how much it had encouraged her. 
And I thought, and I told her, I, t- I texted back, I go, I was thinking about you a lot and praying for you as I was preparing the message. There's nothing like a mother's love, but there's nothing like a mother's heartbreak. And it's a part of being a mom that they feel it and they feel it deeply. And part of it is because they see the potential. Then they realize sometimes your children don't live up to their potential. And that's heartrending. That's painful. It's torturous. The worst is when you have a child who dies while you're still alive. It's every parent's worst nightmare. And we always say no parent should outlive their children. You hear that all the time, but statistically, 20% of parents will have one of their children die before they die. That's, it happens a lot. And when it happens, it's awful. And, I, and if you understood how much it would hurt, you'd go, do I even really want to have kids? It's why, um, you know, I, Anne always bugs me about, oh, we should get a dog because you love dogs. And it's true, I love dogs. I do. I love them so much that I don't get one. And the reason is, I know even at my age, I'm probably going to outlive a dog. I'm getting closer to where it's like, <laughs> but it's like, no, I, I just can't think of that. I can't face that. Now, a parent who loses a child would never go back and not have that connection or that relationship with them. But Mary stands here as a representative of all mothers, just going, in one way or another, my heart's going to be broken. She's told that right from the beginning. And if you're a mom, you've had your heart broken. Or, like I say, your kids are incredibly sneaky. (laughs) But it's a part of the deal. So Simeon made this prophecy to her. Now you read on, and they went back and went back home. And in verse 40, it describes Jesus' early childhood development. This was his development before he was the age of 12. It says that the child grew, and he became strong in spirit. Now, it might be surprising that if you're describing a child's growth for a young child, that the first thing is that they grew in spirit, and yet... If you're around little children, you understand. They are much more spiritually attuned than older people are. So it's a privilege that as a mom ministers to her child, she sees that her child is more spiritual than she is. Um, And that's why Jesus later would tell people, you'll never understand the kingdom until you learn how to be more like a child. So even Jesus grew spiritually as a little kid. Um, But he was also filled with wisdom. Not because he read so much. Somebody fills him with wisdom. See, that means that, and for, for most cases, it's amazing how much we learn from our moms who are telling us, you know, things that we need to understand and know. And you, you don't think it's really sinking in. But the truth is, Part of the job of a mother is to fill her child with wisdom when they're young, just to give them little principles and little disciplines. And I know, you know, like in dealing with my grandkids, I can see the signs that, that you know, my daughter-in-law, Brittany, just fills them with good principles. Like when they're going somewhere with me in the car, they won't ride in the front seat. 
And I'm like, oh, come on, it's fine. Yeah. No, my, mom's, my mom said I can't. <laughs> and it's like those are little things that mean that the mother has this relationship. I, I think they probably figure my dad would be fine with it. Um, but they're like, mom, she's, she's told me not to do this. And so they don't. And I think that that even for a young child, the mother's role, filling them with wisdom. Spiritually, that's happening, but wisdom is being poured in as well. And interestingly, the third thing is, and the grace of God was upon him. A lot of times we think that we need to teach children the law, and when they get older, they'll figure out grace. But it's so important that we teach kids grace, that we not become so enslaved to our programming of children. And there, you know, child rearing was damaged greatly back in the 60s and 70s when they decided that children are like animals and you, and you train them as behavioral training. And so, and in the Christian world, it was no different. There was the growing kids God's way thing where it's like, you can program your kids and guarantee that they're all going to turn out great. And so it's all the strict discipline that was, it doesn't work that way. Grace is so important. Grace is something that you have to learn all along the way. Yes, it's important to learn rules and behavior, but it's important for grace to be mixed in with it. That's the description of Jesus' early childhood development. And while Joseph was off working, this is what Mary was doing and giving her. And may we all, with little kids, enhance their spiritual lives, pour good advice and wisdom into them, but teach them grace all along the way. That's what she did. So then, in verse 41, uh, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. For all the Jewish feasts, if you were really into it, you would travel to Jerusalem, it was a big deal, for their festivals. This was like their church attendance. Now, if you're Mary and Joseph, you could think, look, I got the Messiah living in my house in Nazareth. We don't really need to go to church. But faithfully, the example to him was, we're going to temple. We're going to church. We are celebrating this holiday. There was a, a huge time, and there are still places you know, in, the, in our country where it's somewhat this way. On Sunday, people go to church. That's just what you do. And it used to, in a lot of places... The law meant everything was shut down on Sunday mornings so that everyone would go to church. Now, over the last couple decades, I mean, it used to be you didn't have Little League on Sundays. But now it's like, eh, it's Sunday. Not only do churches have multiple service times, but some of them have Saturday night services. We can, yeah, we don't need to go. Let's just watch online. No offense to those of you who are watching online. But... (laughs) But see, for their family, where they could easily justify not doing it, it's like, this is what we're doing. Jesus was raised expecting to go to regular worship. One day, in a couple of decades, he's going to be in that place tipping tables over, but he goes to church. His family faithfully showed him that this matters 
more than a whole lot of other stuff, we're going. And I, I like that. And most of you probably, if you went to church when you were a kid, it was because of your mom. It was because your mom was like, no, we're going to church. I, as messed up as my family was growing up, we went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. The rest of the time, it was awful. But we went to church. It's just what you did. And it's because of mom. Now, and my dad was schizophrenic in and out of mental hospitals. And I think he thought that most churches were of the devil because he was the only one that was truly spiritual. Today, he would be a Christian celebrity. But you know, back then, they just considered that crazy. Um, today, we give them likes. But so they went. And after worship, Jesus hung around. The boy Jesus, in verse 43, lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his, Mary, his mother did not know it. My God, how can they not know that they left Jesus in Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, how clueless can you be? But all their relatives went. They were all, he probably, oh, Jesus, I'm sure he's playing with the other kids. He's, so sometimes this can happen. Um, and the truth is, a lot of times moms are sort of clueless. It's fairly easy to pull the wool over their eyes. See, if Jesus, and Jesus probably knew, if I come and go, hey, mom, can I hang around Jerusalem for a couple more days and discuss theology with the theologians? He knew the answer. No, so he just didn't ask. And I love, moms do have that naivete where bias like, I didn't know. And moms, I understand that you have your intelligence networks, but there are some things that your kids do that you'd just be better off not knowing. I never knew with my mom what she knew or didn't know. I remember one time a bunch of us kids were camping in the backyard and we were out there smoking. I was like probably 10. And, and so my mom calls out the window, David, come here. And so I walk in the house and I had a cigarette in my hand, but I cupped it and I pulled it up into my sweatshirt sleeve. And she's like, David, were you smoking out there? And I go, no, no, no. She goes, she goes I can smell it on you. Do you think I'm an idiot? And I go, oh, no, it's Randy. He's my neighbor. He's smoking. She goes, oh, okay. And smoke's like starting to seep out of my... <laughs> and, I, and I went back outside and I thought, is she that dumb or is she just like going, well, whatever. I'm not going to deal with it. Either way, Mother Mary, same thing. She just kind of didn't know completely what was going on. But when we read on, it says that, you know... They came back. Verse 45. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. That's what moms do. They hunt down their kids. They go, okay, somehow we got separated. Somehow this didn't go. So I realize I'm going to spend a good part of my life looking for you. And moms do that. Dads will be like, oh, don't worry. When they get hungry, they'll come home. Moms, nope, we're looking for them. Hunting them down. So they went... After three days, they found him in the temple having this theological conversation. Everybody was marveled. And so in verse 48, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. (laughs) I mean, she's frustrated. She was scared. It's like three days looking for him. 
So what does she want to do? She wants to put a guilt trip on him. She wants to lecture him. She wants to make him feel the pain of what he has caused them. It's what moms do. Okay? It's a part of their, it's one of the only weapons that they have is the ability to try to manipulate your feelings by making you feel guilty. Don't feel bad, moms, when you do that. So did Mother Mary. But then she goes, your father and I. And Joseph's like, no, I was fine with it. (laughs) So Jesus said in verse 49, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They both knew that he had been born to a virgin They both knew by this time the kid's a teenager and he's a pretty amazing kid and he's having this deep theological conversation that just blows our minds. But he's talking about his father's business. His father is a carpenter. He's in the temple doing his father's business. They completely missed it. They did not understand They were clueless and confused. Again, welcome to parenthood. There's a lot that you don't understand when you're a mom. So then uh, it says that in the end of verse 51, though, they yanked him out of there and took him back home. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. She didn't understand, but she's like, There's something deep inside of me that knows that there's more. I have a sixth sense that something's going on here, and I'm going to hang on to it. A month later, if you said to Joseph, hey, remember when Jesus hung out and then said he was about his father's business? Wasn't that weird? And he would be like, I I don't remember. It seems like I remember we went back and got him. Mary? No, man. Mom is the historian. She remembers, she takes it to heart, she connects with things. She may not know where she left her phone, but man, she knows what her kids said and did and how that affected her. It's moms. And then finally in verse 52, the summary of Jesus' adolescence. We saw him as an early child. Now, as a teenager, he increased in wisdom. No longer filled with wisdom by his parents, now he was growing in his intellectually, informationally. He was making he was understanding more humanity and decision making and all that. And he grew in stature. He got bigger and stronger and healthier. And he grew in favor with God. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that Jesus became closer to God the Father, who he had been with for all of eternity, but he had emptied himself of all of that and had to go through the human process of growing spiritually in an even deeper way. Yeah, from the beginning, he had a heart for God. Now he's growing in his connection to God, in favor with God, and he's growing in favor with men. He's learning to get along with others. It was probably hard for a perfect kid in school because 
kids would kind of resent you and hate you and not like you, and they'd be like, you think you're better than I am? Well, yeah, I am better than you. I'm God, but I'm not holding it against you. But now he began to learn how to get along with people, and that was something that he had to grow in. I love Luke 2.52 because for me it's a roadmap for if we really understand what God wants to tell us, if we really want to understand his word, our lives should look like this. And we should be able to ask ourselves, am I growing in wisdom? What am I learning? Where are my ideas changing and developing? Or do I just still think what I always thought before and I stopped growing intellectually a long time ago? Am I growing in wisdom? Am I growing in stature? Am I, now, there's a certain deterioration as we get older, but am I taking care of my body, developing it to get the greatest benefit from it that I possibly can? Am I eating right and exercising right and, and getting enough sleep? Am I doing the kinds of things that take care of my body? Jesus had to grow physically because what he was about to endure not only was a lifestyle of of being homeless and walking around and staying up long hours preaching and then climbing a mountain to be with God. It was finally enduring all the suffering that he had to endure. If he had died while they were beating him, he couldn't have died on the cross. And he couldn't have fulfilled all the prophecies. So physical development was important to him. And I think a lot of times in, in, in our educational system, we can easily neglect the aspect of of physical education. I'm just like, eh, they can kind of get that on their own, you know, but, but uh, for Jesus, that was an important part of his development in a balanced way, and, and so he did develop and get stronger, and he grew in favor with God. Am I getting closer to God than I was before? Or do I just talk about back in the day when me and God were like this? I was No, am I following a plan whereby I can say, I'm actually closer to God now than I've ever been. Well, that's what was happening with him. And then growing in favor with men. How are you getting along with other people? How are your social connections, your connections with others? There are a lot of people who develop like a wheel with a flat edge, where it's like, man, you're great with God. But you sure don't take care of your body, and you, know, you don't have any friends, but you know, yep, your devotional life is awesome, and your intellectual life is good. The picture here of Jesus, and the one that happened under the oversight of his mother, Mary, was a balanced, well-rounded development. And it creates a real pattern for us to follow as well. I often... Just consider Luke 2.52 and just go, okay, lately, how am I doing in the wisdom category? How am I doing in the stature category? How am I doing in my spiritual life? And how am I doing in my social life? And quite often, it lays a pattern out to where I can balance the wheel a little bit by following this. This is what Mary taught Jesus. She began by nurturing him, and then as he grew older, he was taking responsibility for his own development. And I love, I love that whole picture for sure. So Mary, as a mother, just a reminder to us, she wasn't perfect. 
Far from it. She wasn't like born of a virgin herself. That's silly. But and she wasn't like raptured up rather than dying. No. But she was a mom. And I think she's more special by not being half God, half person. She's more special because she's just a mom. Because for every one of you moms, and for every one of us, our mom, we can read Luke 2 and go, I get it. This is what I'm trying. This is what my mom, my grandma, this is what they were trying to do. This is the part of the plan. And so when I think of moms, I think of this picture of Mary, and I pray for each of you that as you celebrate Mother's Day today, I know for some of you it may be a painful time. That's a part of motherhood too. I know for some of you that it's a thing of regret. Well, I wish I had done it differently. Well, if you're still alive, you can do things differently now. Okay, a lot of times you were clueless. So was Mary. You're in good company. But let's all of us honor the spirit of motherhood when we see it in the people in our lives who who were our mothers, whether they were literally our mother or grandmother, whether they were a woman who came alongside us in order to provide that. And let's just remember, every one of us, our mothers are still with child. They're still connected to us. Their genetics are a part of who we are and what we celebrate today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these lessons on motherhood. You teach us these lessons every time we're around mothers. And you taught us as Luke went to the trouble of talking to Mary and getting her perspective on the story. We understand why she is blessed among all women. But we're all blessed by people in our lives who fulfill the mothering role for us. Thank you for all the mothers in our lives. Thank you for the younger mothers and the older mothers and all the ones who are our peers. And Lord, we're grateful for this thing called motherhood and we honor it today. And we understand that even sometimes in the Old Testament, you use a mother as an example of who you are because they are that special to you. Lord, if there are people here today who are really hurting a lot or Maybe they don't even really know you or connect to you, and all this just seems like superstition. I pray that you'll speak to them in their hearts and help them to know, now this is real. This is important. This matters. So thank you for the way you bless us, the way you continue to bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.